Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Cheyenne Moore. She is a published author and a podcast host. Welcome, Cheyenne. I am so happy to finally have you here. We have been talking about and trying to get this done for months now. I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, holy shit, we did our discovery call quite a while ago. So it's nice to finally have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And I'm couldn't be happier that we finally made this show happen either. I think I have the same thoughts about you. I'm like, Brad and I will connect when we're meant to connect, but I have post-its lined up for all the upcomings. Yeah. So I just kept changing your post-it out. And <laughs> I was like, okay, it's getting pushed back, but it's still happening. It's on the calendar. So yeah, for sure. I'm very happy we're finally doing this. I've been looking forward to it literally since I booked it the first time. Me as well. I'm very grateful and happy to have you here too. So with that being said, let's jump in and get started. So Cheyenne, what inspired the journey for you into the world of writing? Journaling ever since I was a kid. I had a grandma that actually journaled everything verbatim since she was a girl. And I remember going to her house and she would show me her journals. And one, I loved her handwriting, but two, I just loved how she really was able to remember everything because she documented it so well. Yeah. So even from just, you know, the dear diary, I like Brad face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I really enjoyed that. It was my safe place at the time where I could talk and not be judged or, oh, I have this thought. I have this feeling. I'm just going to go write it down and definitely get that lock on there so my brother doesn't get into The little diaries the with the lock school. on them. Yeah, old school. <laughs> and then you'd lose the key and you'd have to bust the lock anyways, which is always what happened to me. I eventually awesome. moved to notebooks, but yeah, it's been with me for Probably since I I picked up a pen and learned, I was just enthralled with it. Love it. So your grandmother was the inspiration then really for you starting to write. Definitely. She was the first breadcrumb. I think you have people that introduce stuff to you and then you have, you know, like mentors or an inspiration comes along. And I definitely remember when I got a hold of poetry in fourth grade and I was just like, I love that better because sometimes writing paragraphs just, you know, I'm a big run on sentence writer. (laughs) I was like, no, I don't care about punctuation. Let me just get these thought streams out. So when I met poetry and I could condense it or even hide what I was saying in really pretty words, basically, I was... Thank you, Miss Martin, my fourth grade teacher is probably the best. <laughs> and grandma, we got to thank grandma. 
your mom, Miss Martin, little author things. I remember I got to publish a paper when I was younger and take it to an author feature night at my school. Yeah. And I was shaking. I was so excited and I was so nervous and I just couldn't believe I was there. But I was like, I'm in front of a real published author and they're <laughs> taking time to talk to this little fifth grade girl about a story I named Malupaka, which is literally <laughs> where I live in the woods with all the animals and I talk yeah. to them and live with them. So <laughs> maybe it was like my take of Garden of Eden at the time, only I actually lived in the woods with them. But yeah, I named all the animals and whether he actually thought it was good writing or not, he just praised the crap out of me. Yeah. You know? oh, I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's funny. I worked in corporate for 12 and a half years and I can remember having to write business cases and things like that to to get product or whatever. And I can remember my boss saying to me, Brad, you write like you speak. You can't write that way. And I'm like, mm -hmm. fuck you. I don't give a shit. This is how I fucking write, period. And now I look at it when I create posts for social media or whatever, and I write like I speak. And I think that's a gift. I think being able to write like you speak is better than having to shift it around and, oh, it's got to sound this way and it's got to fuck that. And I understand now that, of course, business writing is very different. Absolutely. But that's just how I wrote. And it was hard for me to adapt to writing for a business mind or writing as a business person in that way, as opposed to writing how I speak. It, it was very difficult for me to wrap my head around that when I was working I'm in corporate. the exact same way. And I worked for a company that basically had all the templates written out for you. So you had very little room. It should look like a computer wrote it is basically if you did any type of promotion. Yeah. For the company. And I really struggled within those boundaries for that exact reason. Cause I was just like, I have so much personality and they're basically telling me, we don't want your words to have personality. We just <laughs> want to make sure that you sell stuff to people. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Stifling I think the real Cheyenne. Yeah. But I think you're putting those things for a reason. You crave it when you can't have it. You know, that's one yeah. of the great things about being a human being is this desire that you have for these creative aspects of yourself. And when you're put into work where they're like, here's your box, stay in it. Oh, okay. But then this passion builds and it eventually like Mentos will go in your Coke bottle one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Boom. So I'm, Cheyenne's I'm arrived. <laughs> yes. I'm here. I'm here. When was your first realization that you wanted to be a writer? Oh, so around the same time that I learned poetry, I used to ride my bike up to the library every day because this was right before you got a gateway computer in your house and you just went mainstream for the yeah. time. But I would get off the bus, go home and grab my bike, ride my bike up to the library, and I would just sit and research other poetry or just other writers on and on. And I found a website called poetry.com. And I don't even think it exists anymore. And I'm pretty sure it was mildly a scam, but whatever. At the time, it was like you could go on there and write poetry or you could submit your own poetry in for these contests. And apparently you could just win a bunch of really cool trips and cash prizes because they just started sending envelopes to my house nonstop where it was like, if you win this poetry competition, you win $5,000 and a free trip to Florida to go to this poetry <laughs> convention with all these amazing authors. But if you don't want to do that, you can publish your poetry in one of our shared author books. So I would always submit my poetry in there. I obviously never won one, which is why I think it's a joke because um, I'm like, I can't win one of these. How many people are 
putting their heart and soul on this website. But my mom ended up publishing one of them and ordering the book and giving it to me. So usually okay. like if you buy the book, they're going to put your poem first. And I'm right. in fifth grade, so I have no idea how to write an author biography. And most people pretend like somebody else wrote it for them, even if they yeah. wrote it for themselves. And again, I'm like, my friend said my poetry is good and I should write it. So I did. And now here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was very truthful, right? They're like, why did you publish? And I'm like, my friends gave me the confidence to basically in fifth grade. Yeah. And all. Uh, so my mom gave me the book and just seeing my work printed in a book in the cover with my name. I mean, I still remember the feeling to this day because it was just that resonance, right? You're just like, yeah. oh, I want this. Oh, this is so cool. And it's not like I went out and I was like, I published, I published it because it was a really dark poem. It was actually a poem about a family member of mine had uh, attempted suicide. And I okay. didn't really know how to deal with it at the time. So yeah. anything I did or didn't know how to deal with, I wrote it down. But I ended up writing a poem about her experience of why she felt like she needed to do it. And I remember I took it to my mom and my mom took it to her college English professor. And she's like, can you read this? Just, I'm not going to tell you who wrote it. Just read it. And he wrote it and he looked up at her and he's like, wow, that's amazing. That's really deep and insightful. It's really sad, but it speaks a lot about that inner struggle that nobody wants to deal with. He's like, who wrote it? And she's like, my 12 year old daughter. Your 12 year, he's like, Is she okay? And she goes, Yeah, she's okay. She wrote it about a family member of ours that had an accident. I just kind of want to get your perspective on it because she wants to be an author one day. And he's like, If she writes like this young, I I can't even imagine what she's going to do on and on in our life. Yeah. Definitely those, again, like those little helpers along the way. They're just like, Hey, you're doing it. You're great. Keep moving on. Give you that boost of confidence. Yeah, Yeah, I have a lot of people like that. Awesome. When did you write your first book and release it? Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So let's try not to make this a 10 minute answer, shall we? (laughs) Uh, I just actually published a small poetry book last November and I did it through a self-publishing app called Poetizer because I still have no idea how to really navigate through all the publishing stuff. And I'm so supremely guarded about my work, the way that I want it presented, whether I want it flawed or I want this picture, I want the words to sit on the page this way that I'm almost scared to go through the editorial and marketing teams of a big publishing company. It is one of my dreams one day to be in Barnes and Nobles and all of that fun stuff. But 100% creative control is what I need to be able to trust myself to create and go through it. So I found Poetizer and I just started writing on there through what I would call like a shadow work period because I do a lot of poems during that time to really get like the ick out. Uh, But it's the ick that nobody wants to talk about. So I thought it was really important to do a small consolidated piece in a poetic form of just thought streams that would come in as I was unwinding these parts of myself. And I started looking at all the other authors and I was like, why don't I just put this in a book? Like what? (laughs) Yeah. So I went on the platform and I made it. It was super easy, super streamlined. Like literally you just put it all in and edit it. And they sent a copy of it to my house. And I had that same exact feeling that I did when I was in fifth grade, except for it was my book. And it's actually called Recording the Soul. So the Part of it is where all of us, I believe, are hooked up to the same divine energy if you're speaking in terms of collective consciousness. So we're all still energetically connected somehow. So all of these thoughts that I've pulled out 
worth after meditation sessions or before purging sessions almost. But I still thought that some, most of us have went through a phase of this. So I named it recording the soul as in the whole collective soul. And this is just a purging of negativity that has decided to come out through my vessel. Very cool. So it's vulnerable for me because these are things that I've observed. These are things that I feel. These are questions that I have. These are memories that I have that I found repressed and they serve their purpose and their time. And now this memory is serving me on a different energy level. I came out with that. I didn't do a bunch of super crazy promotion for it. I just let people know through internet a little bit and on my podcast forum. And then Poetizer actually reached out to me a couple months later and asked if I wanted to be one of their featured authors of the day. And I could have just dropped because I I don't know how that picking process goes. I'm really into hitting publish, promoting as much as I can. And then I'm like, I did it. What else (laughs) do you need me to do? Because you can just get lost in that promotion train and the numbers. And it just kind of sucks magic out of it. So I really, I pull in that universal energy a lot. And I'm like, I published it. You know, I can't believe I did that. And yeah, I did an author feature. And again, just seeing my name in an author feature, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Because honestly, a lot of the journals that I've kept when I was younger, I had aspired to just publish the journals for all of those kids that hide in their journals. And they don't want anybody to see the stuff that they go through. They want to go out with their mask and then go back to you know, their authentic yeah. self almost in their journals. So I honestly was never going to publish any of it for the longest time because I felt ashamed of a lot of the dark thoughts that I had. So me waiting for so long and then finally doing it just last November, this was kind of my test for myself, publishing yeah. and getting back out there. Because I actually have another book all put out. I don't even know. I would say within the next six months, but I always add another page and create a little more. But it's actually a poetry book from a lot of these journals, a lot of the places that I lived, a lot of different versions of Cheyenne is what I like to think. But the backdrop are illustrations of all the places that I visited. So it's a really cool overlay. It's honestly going to be really expensive to print, which is why I'm also deciding where to go with that. But then, yeah, I eventually would want to get the journals all out there. So this one was a really good just starter for me because yeah. the success in it was just being able to actually put it out in the world and be like, okay, I'm not going to hide this. I don't care what people think about me. It's yeah. one of the biggest reasons are like, oh no, will I sell a copy? It doesn't matter. If one person reads it and just goes, oh my gosh, page 11, man, you just get me. Yeah, yeah. perfect. That's why it's out there. My main goal is to be a book in a thrift store with dust on it and this sweet little lost 18 year old soul just picks up my book and like flips through it and goes, yeah, I have to take this home with me. Let me go connect with this author that probably isn't here if it has dust on it and it's that far back in the thrift store. But I had that moment and those authors that aren't on the same physical plane with me were the ones that really inspired me too. So that was my pay it forward where I was like, yes, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author. But the ultimate goal is to end up in a thrift store after my (laughs) high rise and just help those people. We all got to find a way to work together. And that's right. My work in is through the writing for sure. Love it. Well, congratulations on publishing your book. Thanks. That's huge. It is. It's an incredible feeling to get that, to have that tangible item in your hands and to see I have it right here. It. Sometimes I walk around and just touch it and remind myself, you did this. <laughs> and in your it's, child meditation, I'm like, look, shy. 
We did it. We wrote yeah, a book. Yeah, it's, it's something to be very proud of. Sure. Guess what I did? Guess what I did? I called my mom. Mom, guess what? My mom buys everything. As soon as I immediately, she buys anything that I make. And she bought one Love for it. my grandma. Not the one that inspired me to write the first time, but another one. And I saw my grandma at Christmas and she goes, Cheyenne, I read your book and I just love it. You know, I don't understand any of it, but I just love it. <laughs> That's what a good supportive grandma or parent I like, does. Thank I love you so it. much, grandma. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, do you That's... want me to sign it? I really would like to practice my signature. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Where do you pull your inspiration from when you're writing? A couple of different places, actually. So everyday experiences in my life and other people's usually i tend to not take on the energies of other but i'm definitely a shoulder to cry on for people so i'm the dr phil of the friends group almost like you call me if you need that outside perspective right no matter who i talk to it's a mirror for me when they call me i honestly yeah. believe that so I'll get off the phone and it'll like, it'll spark something in me and I'll just be like, oh, I got to write that down really quick. I'm going to build off that later. You know, that's one yeah. way. The other way is I think of it like a muse that's in my head and they call on me whenever they want and I could be anywhere and a teleprompter will start building in my mind and it will literally start writing itself. And I'll look up because it always comes in my right ear and I look up and there's writing up here and it'll do three lines and it's always really poetic form. So thank God they're not sending me paragraphs because I'd be like, yeah. nah, shit off. <laughs> I'm not to that level. So they'll say the first three lines and then I'm supposed to write this down. And then they just, they're not like, yes, write it down. It just starts repeating the poem over and over. So then I'll grab whatever, because I have another website that I've written on since 2014. Again, that was my other, let me just put it out in the world without any oh, I need followers. I need this. I need that. I just want a platform to write on. So I bought a WordPress website and I would just go write on there or I would write on the notepad. But I'm one of those people. I always picture people that used to pull up recordings, right? I'm like that with my phone. I could be anywhere under the sun and it'll be a line. It'll be a two-page poem. It doesn't matter. It comes out. And then yeah. after meditation is probably just the most etheric, higher self type wording where I'll go back and read it later when I've definitely come down off of mm -hmm. those meditation vibes. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, because sometimes it's a little racy. Sometimes it seems like really intimate and revealing parts of my soul. And I'm like, okay, vulnerability is what we're working on here. Yeah. So it does come in a multitude of ways, but mainly I would just say it's a muse. And there's sometimes that I can almost feel like clogged up and I'm like, I have to go right now. And that's usually when the journaling comes in and I'll start talking to myself. And then eventually it'll just all come out. Beautiful. What lights you up or excites you the most about writing? Over time, I truly appreciate the relationship that I have with myself Again, a lot of the things that I've discussed with myself in these journals or in the books that I'm getting ready to create are a lot of the experiences that I've just tried to interpret the best that I could. Like, oh, this happened. This is the way that I feel, but it's really poetic. And knowing myself has been one of the greatest things for me. And I have all versions of myself written down in a notebook, in a poem, through pictures, through all of these memory savers. And every time I feel a little away from myself, just because I get busy with life, it happens. Yeah. 
I can always sit down and I will literally just, I used to like, right when you're a kid, you're like, dear diary, I love Brad. He doesn't like <laughs> And like now it's turned into, hey, shy, I've been avoiding you. And then I talk to myself about how I've been avoiding myself and the reasons why I've been avoiding it. And again, it's the non-judgment. You really get to set your ego aside and journal writing. It'll be there for a while because I think everybody has that weird feeling of, oh, what if somebody reads this? What'll they say? I've had those moments. I had my parents read my journal in sixth grade and they were like, we are worried about you. And I was like, I didn't do anything in that book. I, those were stories from other people. Uh, We all have that fear. Like someone's going to know these deep parts of ourselves that we don't want to reveal to anybody. But those are the times where I connected with myself the most, especially through a lot of really dark times in my twenties. I have one called the purple notebook that is just ridiculously dark and introspective. And it's one of my favorites because I would actually have a friend that would come and write in it with me randomly, or he would send me his writings. And I thought that his writings were just as profound as mine were when I read him. I could really connect with what he was writing. So when you flip through randomly, there would be my writings and his writings going back and forth. And I still read that to this day because I survived a lot of those times that I didn't think I was going to survive. And I have proof of how dark it really got for me, but it was still very sweetly poetic. And when I look back on it, I'm just like, thank you so much for writing this down so I can still heal these parts of myself in a later part of life when I feel stronger and have a better definition of my emotional code. That is beautiful. On the flip side of that, Cheyenne, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about writing, about being a writer? As much as I like to tell the truth, there are instances that I've had that involved people that I had love in the past for and people that I still love today. And I want to tell the story from a learned lesson and how do you come out of it and really an empowering statement, but I still haven't figured out how to really hide the identity of the person so they're not chastised for the role that they played in it. Because I don't blame anybody for any of the things that happened back then, I just know that it happened. I give the details and I want to understand why I heal and move on. And then again, share your story to help somebody else. So that's probably one of the biggest ones is there are things that I really would like to write down, but I feel so protective of the people, whether they hurt me or not, that I don't want to write something that could ultimately get somebody hurt in any way, shape or form or judged or, oh, I read Cheyenne's book and it turns out you weren't so nice Like, I don't want anything like that. And then obviously, like I said earlier, my fear of the actual publishing industry, where I would still have to give some part of the creative control away, even though, I mean, maybe it'll outweigh the good, but the next three projects I think would just have to be self-published because I care so deeply that it needs to be presented this way. There's a reason that page is ripped. All these little almost synchronicities are almost like a where's Waldo in it. There's so much (laughs) more than just the wording. There's so much depth to it that I want to portray to people, but I want people to find it first and then come back and then have a little conversation. So those probably my big two for sure is just trying to find the nicest way to tell my truth, but not condemn anybody for their actions. And then obviously my future fears of getting in front of an editor being, I don't think we can promote your stuff. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It's transcendent and you should just press publish. Let's just do this. (laughs) Let's just do this thing. Okay. There has to be a really big confidence level that I'd have to bring to the table in a meeting like that. And I've sat at a couple different tables, but you just know when you still have other things 
to work on before you build up to that. Like timing really is everything. So for sure. those are definitely two of the big main things. Yeah. For me. Which authors or poets do you admire? Who are a couple of your favorites? Oh, okay. So I actually want to show you this book because it's okay. super cool. And it's one of my favorite poetry books. It's super old. His name's John Macefield. Okay. And again, the story about finding the poetry book covered in dust in the thrift store. Yeah. That's this. That's it. <laughs> That's and they're so old, right? You really have to love older poetry to get through it. But the way that he writes and the way that he writes about the woman that he loves and the world that he sees and just how old the pages are in general, I really fell in love with this book. And have you ever thought about if I could choose what's in my coffin, you know, what would it be? <laughs> you know, this book, I just want to be like, Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> You're coming with me. Let, me. let me take my book with me. So that's definitely a poetry book that I really love. And then recently I've been reading, what is it? James Redfield. It's like the mm -hmm. Celestine Prophecy yep. and all down that, like the Celestine Vision, the Tenth Insight. So I've been in the middle of that while I'm also in the middle of Dolores Cannon's collection. So I went from Jesus and the Essenes to Between Life and Death. And then after that, I'll start the convoluted universe. These books back here, yeah. they are my fun backdrop because I love doing book excerpts on TikTok to get yeah. people inspired to go and read. But I'm actually reading all of these books. <laughs> but right now, my main focus is to get through these collections right now. And those are the yeah. ones that they just transform you when you read them, right? They connect things that you already feel and you already know, things that you're skeptical about and you worry about. And yeah, they inspire me every time I open the page. So that's where Love I'm it. at right now. You could ask me in six months and I could be yeah, reading be different. biography. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you never really know. How do you deal with creative blocks when they come up for you? What have you found helps the most when those blocks come up? Do something different, especially for the me. way. Yeah. So it kind of goes into even how I would set my projects up one day. So sometimes I wake up and I want to do everything, right? But you don't even know where to start. And so I ask my passion because my passion is my motivator, my drive to push through. And that really comes from a very loving heart space for me. So even if I sat all my projects out, I would be like, what one am I attracted to right now? What one has a luster to it? And I'll go to that. If I'm blocked in writing, yeah, I might meditate, but honestly, I might just go sit at my piano and just pluck a couple chords that I'm trying to memorize. I have a keyboard, but I have an older piano. So when you play it, you feel the sound go through your body. And that is the most cleansing thing for me to do with any block that I have, whether it's even I have to do the dishes. I'm like, well, let me go play. This. You know, <laughs> let me go find some motivation. So don't walk away, like give up, but no, you know, give yourself some breathing room. Like most of the times, so many famous, successful, yada, 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 whatever they want to call themselves. They've said all of their ideas came to them when they were doing nothing. If you try to force it too hard, you know, it's not going to come out. Then I go and do the dishes, right? Which is just loading yeah. the dishwasher. I don't want to make it sound like I actually have to be at that phase. <laughs> I don't move into houses without dishwashers. <laughs> but if I was loading the dishwasher, then that last idea would come to me. And I, again, that's that connection with the divine. I'm blocking it. My vibe is a little lower. It's there. You know, yeah. I just got to like, come up to it. So... Yeah, I've given myself a lot of grace for that because I would be like, no, I have to get this done. I'm going to lose the motivation. I'm going to lose the page. I'm going to lose this. 
And then now I'm just like, walk away, like go for a walk, I don't, go yeah. pet the dogs. I don't care, but this is not happening right now. And no, maybe, when you force it, it won't happen for sure. Yeah, well, and it's just not, not as like authentic, right? It's forced. It's yeah. really the wrong energy, you know? Yeah. So, so that's my advice. As, walk away. Okay. That's what I do too. As a creative, I love, this is something that I ask a lot of creatives. It's very interesting to me to hear the different opinions and thoughts. So do you think that we are all born with an innate creativity? I mean, this is something I think about a lot when it comes to artists, athletes, musicians, all of these people who have these skills. Are people just born, do you think, with a natural ability or is it something that can be learned, practiced, honed and eventually become artistic? I mean, there are people who are absolutely, they're just born with that ability to play an instrument, paint or draw or whatever the case may be. And Yes, it has to be worked at by those people too, but it's almost like they are born with, let's use musicians and guitarists, they're born with a guitar in their hands. They come out with that guitar in their hands and they just they can just play. And do you think it's an exceptional level of skill? It's beyond, you think of Jimi Hendrix or Eddie Van Halen or people like that or Picasso or, you know, artists like that. They're just, mm-hmm. you would think that they had, a, they were, came out of the womb with a paintbrush in their hand, right? There are those, and those are far and few between. There aren't a lot of those who have that exceptional skill level. But do you think that anyone else can achieve that same level, that same exceptional skill level if they practice at it? Or is that unattainable? You have to kind of be born with that gift. Oh, wow. Okay, let's pull this apart. So I believe everybody has a certain skill set that they are born with and supposed to nurture, whether, you know, it's the painters and the musicians, but those really are the best examples for me to go through. Cause I'll pull out a couple examples. So I'll use myself as an example right now. I would never be able to attain the level of Mozart in music. Right. But I absolutely love piano. I love it. I took lessons when I was younger. I had a little bit of stage fright, ended up quitting and going into just learning it by myself and eventually going away from it for other reasons in life. I never lost my love of it. I was just like, I'll always go back. I'll always go back. Then you have other people who, like I have a friend who he got into guitar and later in life for sure. And I would say like maybe high school, college area. But as soon as he touched it, he was meant to play it. And I knew it by the way that like he learned everything easy. He picked chords up. It just was natural. And I picked up a guitar too and I liked it, but I didn't have the same passion that he did. Like you could just tell that it was a gift in him. Right. And I think that you can honestly do anything you want to put your mind to. The problem with like me thinking that I should be a guitar player because I thought my version of Smoke on the Water was really cool <laughs> is denying my other gifts that I actually should nurture. So yeah, if you want to pick it up as like a hobby and do that, yes, you are 100% fully capable of doing that. Build that neuroplasticity up, make that account, you know, do whatever you want to do. But there really are people out in the world 
very transformational people like Jimi Hendrix. You move a generation, you have a timeless record. Every time you stepped on stage, you blew people away no matter what you did. And those people, they were born with that and that's what they're meant to do. In the time, they weren't as distracted, right? But you see these people that you have no idea if they would be good at anything else but that, you know? Because it's just like, can you imagine if Jimi Hendrix was like born in today's society, gave up on guitar and was like, screw it, I'll just work at Chipotle because nobody believed (laughs) him. You know, like I still believe in this day, if he reincarnated, all he would do is play guitar and music would be his whole life. And that's where I'm like, I, I wouldn't want to take it away from anybody that's like, oh, I don't know if I'm that passionate about it. Well, try it and still learn it. But there are people that were meant to serve that divine sound healing to humanity. And luckily, it really does look glamorous with the rock and roll lifestyle to people. But at the end of the day, they're serving high vibes on a silver platter to you if you just buy the ticket to their show. So Beautiful. that's my answer. I love it. That's a great answer. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Now, as mentioned at the start, your podcast host. Can you share with us a little bit about your podcast, the title? Are the episodes solo? Do you do interviews? Is it a mix of both? What's the deal? So my podcast is called Safe Space with Cheyenne. So right in the title, when you meet me, I either want you to wonder why I call it Safe Space or just know, oh, she's holding space for people's stories and the stories of evolution. So there are certain words that I like to use, but I really struggle with labels because I don't want to leave anybody out. So spiritual awakening is one of my favorite things to talk about, but that's really what is the beginning of the conversation to talk about. I was living this life. I had this experience and now I've actually found my purpose. And now I'm going in this direction. And we see that happening with so many people in the world, but there's so many details that a lot of people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about like the pitfalls of it, the dark night of the soul, you know, crashing a credit score, losing a home, all these crazy things that happen to people. And I learn from people's really transparent, vulnerable moments. I can really put myself in your shoes. And again, it mirrors back to me and really reflects something in my life. So besides all of the writing, I wanted a safe space to tell my stories along with at the beginning, it was a lot of like friends and colleagues and people that I had known over time. And I just thought their story that they don't see any value in, I got tons of value of because I had that outside perspective and it really changed me. And I love listening to experts and successful people. And I think that's great, but I think all of our stories matter. There's something that we can all learn and take away from each other. And then on the spiritual aspect of it, if you have gone through what you would call a spiritual awakening or an Akashic remembering or whatever you'd like to call it, you have a complete frequency shift and perspective change that can be extremely destabilizing to your normal life at the time. And again, there's a lot of people in the way that spirituality is marketed that they're not talking about any of that stuff unless they can make money off of it. And I want you to never feel alone in any step that you go through in life or in a spiritual awakening specifically. If I never had one and somebody was like, oh, I had a spiritual awakening, I would be like, that is so great for you. But since I don't have direct experience with it, I wouldn't understand the profound change that happened inside the person. So we were really trying to build a language with the almost expansion of human consciousness that we've been seeing and we're continuing to see in people evolving and finding their truth and again, empowering themselves to go on the right path. So 
holding space is the biggest thing, but no matter what viewpoint, what religion, what you believe, obviously you can't harm anybody. You're not going to come in and be like, I killed five people and I totally regretted it. <laughs> That's not really my demographic. I'm sure there's other people, but you're safe to come and have this conversation with me. It's very coffee talk. The conversations really just kind of flow out. And I really just want it to be a time capsule for future generations to come as we build off of it. Because I pictured the podcast or even like, you remember like music you would listen to in your car, but you wouldn't like tell anybody, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, I want to be that podcast for those people that don't know where to go for the information or the resources. And I want you to come to me and... I can get you in contact with any of these people. You can actually just scroll the description and go to them. Or, you know, if you're having a tough time, you can send me an email and I'm just going to like help you out a little bit. You know, it's so crazy. There's 9 billion of us and there's a million ways to connect. And we're all still like, I'm so lonely. I'm like, well, yeah, I hated feeling alone and I love being there for people. And I also like pointing them in the right direction when they just get a little bit off their path. So here's the show. Here's these references. Here's these people and whatever like modality you're interested in. Right. Because not everybody heals the same. So my goal yeah. is to bring on a bunch of different modalities. And in the future, we're actually going to go test these modalities on me. And so I'm preparing to do that because we're even going to do like a Costa Rica documentary where we go do ayahuasca in the jungle. And I know a million people have done that, but that's fine. I come from a very small town where if you know what ayahuasca is, you're about one in five in the town that do. And that's <laughs> fine because it's not their niche. It's not their healing thing. So for me coming out of that small population and growing the way that I did, it's kind of like me even showing my friends and family members back home, like, dude, look what's out here. Yeah. This is so crazy, you know, and just also I want people to vicariously live through my experience the best that they can because they're scared to do it themselves. That's what I do when I go and research. I go and check out other people's YouTubes and Instagrams and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. And I really hone in on their experience and other people living for me at a time before I'm ready to experience is vital to my progression as well. But it's kind of like the pay it forward aspect of it, too. Yeah. And I want to do this and I'll have people write in there. Can you do a, you know, an episode on this? I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to. I would also love to go and do a video of it and show you what it feels like afterwards. So, I mean, I'm basically just, I want to be like a guinea pig for people, but not like <laughs> they're like test rat one. We're like uh -oh. a lab rat. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be like a lab rat. I'll be like, hey, we're going to go do this, that, you know, just. Yeah. Just show them it can be done. And if you're scared, just watch and see. It's really not that bad. Love it. <laughs> now, you're also the creator of the company called This Is Where I Want to Be. Can you speak to us a little bit about that? What's the company about? What inspired you to create the brand and company? Wow, these are long-winded questions for me that I'm happy to answer. I'm just glad you're sticking with me on this. <laughs> of this is I one am. of those other like revolutionary moments in my life. So like you, I had the corporate job as in corporate restaurants, but everything was, it was a cake recipe. It was built for success. So you really didn't get to put your own stamp on it. You know, the creative suppression, right? And me admitting that I was a creative because I'd been like a sidebar creative and I would go out and love everybody else's stuff and just please don't give up. You're doing so great for the world. You're inspiring people. You inspire me. But this creativity would build up in me. And if you don't get it out positively, it definitely comes out negatively is what I found. And so 
Just like I said earlier, I would watch other artists on Instagram and I would wonder how they were able to actually do it, right? You're putting yourself just out there. You're like, this is me. This is what I create. And if you don't like it, F you. Too bad. bad. Yeah. And I mean, I have that rebelliousness in me, but I have such a protection over things that I created that it is like I was stifling myself. So I watched this one tie-dyer. She I can't think of where she is. It doesn't even matter. But she was making these just gorgeous designs. And I was like, oh, that looks like fun. It was almost like my inner child was calling to me. So usually if I want to start a new project, I'll go and buy all the material immediately, put it in the cabinet for a month while I research more. And then I'll wake up one day and I'll be like, today's the day we're tie-dyeing. So (laughs) I actually tie-dyed for a week straight and it just elated me. And I kept doing it because I hadn't felt that happy in a very long time. I was really just bogged down by work. I was like, this is adulthood. This blows. So this was the, it was honestly like oxygen to me at that point. Cause I just felt so dead inside from the work that I was doing. And I would do it before work, which was really fun. Cause I didn't use gloves. So I had massive amounts of color all over me and that stuff doesn't come off. So I would go to work with my hands covered in color. And then people would be like, anybody I talked to, oh, what's in your hands? And I would have to tell them, I do tie-dye and I do this. And I'm just noticing how happy I am. Because again, I haven't been happy in years. Happiness has eluded me this lifetime. This is who I am. <laughs> the person that sits in front of you today is not the girl that I'm referencing, right? Definitely a lower octave of myself. So two parts to the story. I start out with a lot of bandanas because you could do practice designs. And I found a bunch of different stampers and I would do just whatever I wanted to create. And one day I was making tags for the bandanas to take them to work. And I stamped one and it fell over the fireplace and it started spinning like this. And it looked really cool, kind of like a video that needed to be taken. And when it stopped spinning, it said, this is where I want to be. And it was like an epiphany because I was like, yeah. I'm so happy right now. This is where I want to be. I do want to create things that make people happy and make people feel good. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Well, I started making so much. I didn't know what to do with it. So I started taking it to work and giving it away as prizes to my employees because they were all younger. So they loved the shit out of tie-dye. So I was like, this is great. So I started giving a bunch of tie-dye away. And then somebody came up to me and they're like, I would like to buy a bandana from you. And I was like what is this? You will buy my creations? And they're like, yeah, they're badass. So I was like, okay, it's five bucks for that. You know, not even a thing. And then somebody came up to me. They're like, will you make a t-shirt? Will you make a tapestry? Can you do our teens shirts? Can you just people just started floating in randomly? And I was like, this is so freaking crazy. And immediately I'm like, this is going to pop off. The government's going to find out. And they're going to be like, you owe us a bunch of money of, of, like, from a business that's not even created, right? Because I'm always like, if you want longevity, you, you really should just get your shit in order if you want to have a business. Establish it if it's an LLC. Make sure you do all your stuff. And I mean, besides the nanny on the list, I can't wait for my financial advisor to come in and be like, I'm here for you, Cheyenne. Because uh, I do not like the admin side of stuff, but I need it to be able to grow. So I eventually made This Is Where I Want to Be LLC And the title is so freaking long because it's like a mantra. Like if you said it to yourself in that moment and you're in a place where you don't want to be, it dings at you. It's just like, oh, I'm not where I want to be. 
how do I get there? So it's a seed planting company as far as the title. And it started out with just tie-dye. And then I really fell in love with redoing older clothing. So I would find embroideries, old towels. Flannels are honestly my favorite. They're so great. I do bleach dyes and then I'll do embroidery. And the most requested thing I get is I call it channeled patchwork. So I'm a big affirmation person and I will basically make a patch pertaining to you, your journey, what you need. And it's right here. So if you have an anxiety attack, if just things are overwhelming, you literally lift your shirt up and your affirmation made specifically for you is like right here on the shirt. And that just came to me randomly and they went apeshit at one of the first shows that I did. I also sold them a lot cheaper at the time because they were cheaper to make. Now there's so much love that goes into them. It's definitely a higher price point. You got to know your worth the more you build your business, right? Yeah. It's a very big passion project for me. So I pick and choose the shows that I go to really based on the type of people that are going to be there. It's not really like a craft fair place because those people are searching for deals. They're not searching for themselves. Yeah. If you're searching for yourself in any way, shape or form, you're going to walk into my booth. One, the incense is probably going to draw you in there. I have beginner crystals for people that like to do that. I have a traveling library where you can come and get inspired. That business was the beginning, but it really is a physical manifestation of the podcast where I get to meet you, you get to meet me. We get to share stories. And if you like any of these designs, these shirts were made for somebody, but I have no idea who they're made for. I just made them. I put them out in the universe. And if they're for you, they're for you. Good. Great. Awesome. Love it. (laughs) What do you think is your unique skill set or superpower that's helped you become successful, Cheyenne? Resilience is the first thing that comes to mind. And the second one would be my rebelliousness. Because usually people look at as rebellious as being a bad thing. But remember, Jesus was rebellious and everybody (laughs) loved that guy. But if I wouldn't have been rebellious in a lot of past situations, I actually would have hurt myself a lot more. And I think I would have been stuck in situations that had actually expired and I didn't get out of. Not that I'm saying, yes, go be rebellious and tell your boss to fuck off. No, I'm not saying (laughs) that. I'm saying there were times where I was asked to do things that went against my moral compass. And I would go outside and I would stare up at the sky and I would be like, being human is weird, right? I'm talking to the all encompassing energy above me. I said, being human is weird. You give me free will. I have a moral compass. I have my faith. I know what I believe is right and wrong. And here I'm an adult being told by another adult that I have to do this in order to keep my job. And it goes against everything I believe in morally. And when I express that to said person, that doesn't really matter. It's just, hey, your job's on the line. You have to do this. So I was really conflicted at those times. And I ended up taking the rebellious route and whatever happened had happened. But they were so inspiring to me to stand up in those moments. And then the resilience afterwards, because you're like, well, what do I do now? You know, (laughs) I I bit the hand that fed me, but the hand was poison. So now we got to kind of get this stuff away. So that and then I can talk to anybody. At least for the most part, I think I've interviewed thousands of people just from a job perspective and I'm on the hundreds list for podcasts. Yeah. I love and enjoy talking to people. So immediately when they get up, I always tell them I talk fast. I'm kind of like a golden retriever in a human body. I already love you before you know me. So it's a little off putting if you don't understand unconditional love, but I do love you. And how are you doing today? Love it. (laughs) 
a golden retriever in a human body. That's oh, awesome. I absolutely am. You know, when you're done with me, I'm not mad about it. I'm like, okay, I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> Cheyenne, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? That's definitely changed over time. So growing from corporate success to me growing up was what everybody told me it was. It was getting a really good salary job, getting a 401k, creating a retirement plan, buying a brand new house, buying a car, all that materialistic stuff is really what I was raised. Hey, this is how you fit in with people, right? And then after I gave all that up, really, I still have my 401k. It's a Roth IRA now, just so I can still (laughs) sound responsible. Success was in publishing. It was just publishing it. And it was being happy and being happy with what I was actually creating and what I was actually putting out into the world. You know, there's that saying where it says, if you die tomorrow, your job would replace you the next day. And I remember that all the time, especially when I had the mindset, oh, this place will fall apart without me. And I think everybody gets that way, especially in manager positions. So it it really did used to be extremely materialistic based on what people were telling me to do. And then when I finally got to meet myself again, which has been super riveting the last four years, success to me is just showing up and actually doing it. And when I do it, whether I feel it was the best or whatever. I showed up and I did it. And that's more than my past self would have ever done. My past self would have lived the situation in her head and explained to me why she shouldn't do it because of all of these reasons or the way that she might look to people and yada, you know? So yeah, definitely change. But if I just show up and even hit the publish button, right? As a content yeah. creator, baby, I'm gold. I did it. Love and it. I high five myself. I'm like, you did it. You did it. <laughs> What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? Ooh, that's a good one. Timing is really everything. And I've heard that so many times, really. And it finally sank in probably within the last four years, especially with all the things that I wanted to create and knew a lot of the battles that I would have to face to live the way that I wanted to live and do the things that I wanted to do. And before really feeling and understanding that I would really just give up on projects and just kind of think, oh, you know, nothing's happening here. I'm crazy for doing this. I should just go follow the crowd. I should just go do that. And then after I just had the realization that, you know, I'm going to create, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do the best that I can do at the time while continuing to learn and grow. And I'm going to leave the time up to the creator up above us all. And when I do that, it relieves me from a lot of pressure of thinking that I can control time. If you think you can control time, can you control the algorithm, you know, that (laughs) you post all your stuff on, you know, that we all have to work Mm with? So being kind to myself while in those stages is probably one of the biggest things for me too, because I call it the Pinocchio stage sometimes where like you're going to school and then some person takes you to this place to drink beer and go on a Ferris wheel all day. And I like, that's a metaphor, but I apply that to things in my life. While we're building these things and waiting for it to happen, we still have these gaps of time where we're like, what do we do with this? I'm actually tired of building my dream today right now. Can I focus on something else right now? But it has to be something that still feeds into the dream and promotes it and pushes it that way. So I have those Pinocchio moments where I'm like, don't fuck up don't fuck up. Don't do something stupid. (laughs) Do not go get French fries right now. That's not a thing. But you will take a nap 
and it'll run the rest of your schedule for the day. So I have to talk to myself a lot out of stuff like that because comfort foods are still one of the biggest things that I like to go to sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you did so good today. Go get you some waffle fries, girl. And I'm, no, drink your smoothie. Damn it. (laughs) So trust the timing of everything for sure. Divine tailing always plays a big role. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Okay. I actually looked up the definition to make sure that I actually understood the definition of empowerment because I've only used it as, oh, that's so empowering. And I've only visualized it and felt the word, but having it written down, it was different. So I'm just going to tell you what I picture because anything with power, it's like that emoji that explodes. So usually if I see someone that empowers me or is empowering others, One, it's just filled with absolute love, but I just see the spark go off in people's chest when it happens. And when that happens, you're activating that light inside yourself, those gifts that we referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. And wow, you're really waking yourself back up and trusting yourself and trusting your intuition. You're stronger and you're more confident. And that is the best way that I can describe empowerment is if it redirects back into you and ignites you and makes you stronger and better and happier and kinder and more loving and understanding, then you're on the right path for sure. Who in your life, Cheyenne, has had the biggest impact on you and why? Okay, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I have so many people that I would just be so my mom is the coolest person ever, but she's also the most badass woman ever. And she's the strongest person ever. I get my resilience from her a hundred percent. Just I get my trucker mouth from her and my sarcasm from her. Yeah. Do no harm. Take no shit. Right. My mom worked at one time. She worked four jobs and put herself back through nursing school. Because one, she wanted more time with us the more we got older. But I mean, she was a single mom for most of it. Whether she had the relationships, my mom still maintained us three kids and her. I'm never going to have another guy think that he's in charge of this. She always wanted to make sure that we were well taken care of. And it would have got to the point where she forgot to eat or something like that. And it didn't matter as long as we ate. She always put all of us first forever. And on top of that, if I had a problem or something like that, she had these really great sayings or affirmations to inspire you. And you're like, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you get up and hit your feet off the run because I saw her struggles, right? I could see her wash the dishes sometime and that was her processing time. And I could just feel her pain a lot when we were younger. And I was, how do you wake up in the morning and do that? Because if I'm feeling bad, I mean, it just takes me down. And this woman would run through a brick fucking wall after the Kool-Aid man if she had to, you know? And then she would still keep going and keep going. No matter what, she just never gave up and she kept going. And I was just like, I'm inspired because I honestly couldn't do the things that you had to do, right? She had all of us right after another. And she had all of us before the age of 21. It was literally a small ass window where she had three kids. So when I turned 21, talk about a perspective, I had a nail salon and she came to visit me on my one year anniversary. And I said, you had three kids by this age? And she goes, yeah. And I go, mom, I woke up in a closet today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you did that. Thank you so much because I don't understand how you did it. It's just unfathomable to me what you've done. And I mean, besides taking care of my own family, when the money definitely starts rolling in at a faster capacity, 
to the point where you have so much, you get to start blessing your family members. I'm on the phone with my mom. I believe in bringing your manifestations into the world yep. and talking like they're already here. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I hope you enjoy your career because, and she's always, I will work up to the afternoon of my funeral. I swear, I wouldn't even know what to do. I would know what to do with my time. Like she just knows to work and work. And I said, well, one day I'm going to walk up to you with a backpack of legal tender. And I'm going to say, you don't work here anymore. And I built you a house and here's your account. And here's your financial advisor. Everything's taken care of. You literally get to live the rest of your life doing whatever you want to do. Love it. Badass. Yeah. So my first badass. big check will go to my mom for sure. Awesome. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Great. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? I talk back. How would you describe yourself in one word? Wonderlust. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Unconditional love. Like a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you happy and brings you the most joy? I mean, besides my daughter, right? Uh, it's music. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Oh, there's so many. Oddly, I don't even know what to pick. I mean, outside of my physical appearance, I really would say it's my resilience. Just okay. like I keep going. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I hope my kindness, but also kind of my sarcasm at the same times too. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? So I'll tell it in kind of a story format, but I won't take five minutes. So when I used to work for other people and you'd have those days where you're like, God, I don't want to go to work today. But you have to, right? Because they'll fire you. <laughs> so you go. <laughs> um, when you switch to working for yourself and promoting yourself and all of that stuff, you have to have 10 times more discipline for yourself than you ever did for those companies you never wanted to work for. And yeah. That's really hard some days because you're like, I'm my own boss today. I don't want to build a calendar. I don't want to do this. I actually just want to go do this. And you can do that, but you just have to take into consideration that might take you a little further from the goalpost that you set up. So yeah. the discipline that I am still working on, I'm definitely not coaching about it. It's the one thing where I really have to look at myself in the mirror a lot when I'm like, oh, I think I'm done for the day. I'm like, are you though? Can we get a little more done? You know, we have 12 tracks to edit here. Let's get this figured out. Yeah. And I'll talk a little farther. But yeah, discipline is definitely one of the things, especially in anything self-employed and just taking care of yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. And if sure. you do, it'll be bullshit when you get the final product and you don't want that either. So no, give yourself absolutely some grace not. and give yourself some time. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? It's kind of sad, but I like talking about it because it's one of my favorite things to talk about now, especially in the last four years since I had what I coined my spiritual awakening, is how much I really didn't recognize how much I did not care for myself, even from a self-love standpoint, or I would just feed and water myself enough to get back out into the world. And then I would yeah. take care. It wasn't like I was my main priority. And then when I had to really look in the mirror... I really realized just how abusive and unconscious I had really been acting. And, you know, key, the dark night of the soul, go Google, yeah. Google if you don't know what it is, right? But now I'm really glad that I went through all that. I journaled through all of it. And I feel strong enough to talk about it now because I didn't know that it was possible. And direct experience has taught me a lot with that for sure. But I didn't know I could really love myself 
that much and take care and protect and set boundaries. Those are still just things for me that I still have to hold myself accountable for daily. That's self is the foundation for everything. I mean, that mm-hmm. relationship we have with ourselves is the longest standing and most important relationship we will ever have throughout the course of our lives. So we better get a handle on this self-love thing for sure. It's so important. It's key because if you don't love yourself, how can you love anyone else? How can you give, like you said, how can you pour from an empty cup? You just can't. So good for you for having the self-awareness. Thanks. I love it. I'm pretty happy about it too. And so you should be. Cheyenne, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. So there are so many people that I actually would name, but there is a musician that got me through a weird part of my life. And the way that she wrote her music, just in like, there's just certain musicians you listen to. And I'm like, I want to read your diary. I would just want to have a conversation with you, hear the way you talk, see the way your mind works. And it's Halsey, if you know who yes. that is. She's yeah, a cultural phenomenon, no uh-huh. big deal. But I came across your music a couple years ago, laid into it after she blew up, but still when her first album had come out and I connected so like a past part of myself had come up for healing when I found Badlands. And I just deep dived into her lyrics and I listened to it and her voice was so healing. And then I started reading like her interviews with Rolling Stones and you write like you talk. She writes like she talks. So you really get a very personal spin on her. And they're just, I would just like to sit down in a park and just conversate freely with just having no idea what we're actually going to talk about. I think that it would- roll with it. Yeah, I just think she'd be so inspiring to talk to. She is. Her music is very powerful. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Truly empowering. Yeah, for sure. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, Cheyenne, what would that one piece of advice be? They're not going to understand you and that's okay. You need to understand yourself. That's the key. Know thyself. Love thyself. Help others. Beautiful advice. I love that. That could be applied to everyone for sure, 100%. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Well, honestly, I would pick a bunch of stuff from what Jesus has said and what actually Jesus has said, not what people said Jesus said, down to you should forgive, you should love, and you should understand, and you should know yourself. And Um, I actually have a tattoo on my arm. It's called ignorance of man. And it says, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our time on earth is a shadow. And it just speaks about how ignorant we are of the time that we have here and, you know, what we're really doing here. Cause again, we all have to get caught up in the 3d world. So whether it sounds like cliche, I'm definitely not asking for world peace because not a thing in my lifetime. But if you can just change one person's perspective to where even you can change their life and then they can go out and change another, it's really just a continuation of positive energy. But I would definitely take a page from the real Jesus and speaking unconditional love and taking care of each other, but also stand up for yourself, love yourself. If I had time to actually write it out, I'm sure the speech would be much better than these ragged little pieces, but it would be all encompassing of universal, unconditional love and understanding you aren't alone and 
no matter what the fuck you believe in, even if you don't believe in shit, we all come from the same place. Plain and simple. We are stardust, meat covered, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like meat covered (laughs) skeletons wrapped with stardust inside of us. And we're flying through space, just acting like today's boring. You ever thought about that? Like how fast we're actually spinning right now and someone still yeah. has the audacity to be like, it's so boring here on earth. You've got to be kidding me, right? Yeah. It's like cool. It's beautiful. It is. It's incredible. Yeah. Cheyenne, thank you so much for making and taking the time to be here today. I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of our conversation. You are such an inspiration and a bright, beautiful light in the world. And I thoroughly enjoyed your perspectives and your insights and the conversation has been such a pleasure so thank you for being here and thank you for shining your bright beautiful light out into the world i appreciate you i love you brad i couldn't be happier we finally did this yes me too love you too cheyenne thank you so much for being here i appreciate you so very much i'm honored to have you as a member of the empowerography community me too thank you so much Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Cheyenne Moore. She is a published author and a podcast host. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.